Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 21 of Storytime for Weirdos. This episode is entitled Death of a Portal Jumper, Part 2. Jenny stood silently for a moment. That's not my job, she said. I'm not going to work for the cops. Chewy, said Detective Rosenthal. Give us a minute. Chukrevsky looked from Jenny to his partner. Sure thing, he replied, and left the two women alone. Jenny eyed the bed. The sheets were stained with Derek Summer's blood. She shivered. Where do you live in the city? Detective Rosenthal asked. The Bronx, 161, near the stadium, Jenny replied. Before the fade, did someone close to you get hurt by the police? Rosenthal asked. Jenny looked at the detective in surprise. Yes, my Uncle Lewis was shot by the police. He was just in the corner store buying coffee and they shot him, said it was an accident. No one was punished. The words tumbled out of her mouth. Rosenthal nodded. I've heard it before. We don't get a lot of trust in some parts of the city. For good reason. I'm sorry for what happened to your uncle. Things changed a lot during the fade, but for the police it was different. She paused and her brows knitted in thought. Have you heard the saying, don't waste a good crisis? Yes, Jenny replied. Well, for the police, the fade was the ultimate good crisis, she continued. We had a lethal, intractable problem and a large group of people who were zealous and violent. The leadership put the bad apples out patrolling for portals and on border watch. The rest of us took up food and medicine distribution. We brought in experts in mental health, conflict resolution, and social work. The police force is smaller today than before the fade. We don't go to calls that involve mental health, noise complaints, or domestic violence, unless we're asked to. She shrugged and added, it helps that guns don't work. What happened to all the bad apples? Jenny asked. Rosenthal looked at her for a beat and then looked away. Do you know why Derek Summers is famous? He was the first portal jumper, Jenny replied. He willingly went to dangerous worlds and brought back things that saved humanity. That's right, Rosenthal replied. The portals were, are, very, very dangerous. Monsters emerge from them, and sometimes it takes four or five officers to dispatch them, and not all of them make it. Jenny studied the detective. She was white, mid-thirties. Her brown hair had hints of gray. Her face didn't show her age, no prominent lines or wrinkles, but her eyes held a weariness. I think I understand, said Jenny. We're not perfect, Rosenthal said. We don't deserve trust, but we deserve the chance to earn your trust. The two rode the elevator down to the lobby and walked out to the street in silence. On the street, Chewie stood by a group of bicycles. You give her the talk, he asked Rosenthal. She nodded. You okay going with us, he asked Jenny. She nodded. 
Good, we got an extra bike. Collins is going to secure the scene. We'll ride to the precinct and have a little round table. The three of them mounted the bicycles, and Jenny followed the detectives through the streets. The bikes were pre-fade, which meant they were light and easy to ride. But the model she rode had seen better days. The streets of Manhattan were crowded with lunchtime traffic, mainly pedestrians and cyclists, but horses, handsome cabs, and pedicabs entered the scrum. The detectives navigated the streets with Jenny in tow until they came to a gray concrete box set amid more elegant row houses on a quiet side street. They left the bikes outside under a shed built in the street where cars were once parked. Inside the precinct hummed with activity. You want to order some lunch? Chewie asked. I could eat, Rosenthal replied. Jenny's stomach growled. I packed a lunch, she said. The three of them crossed an open office, rows of desks occupied by men and women writing, talking, or eating. Chewie left them at a desk near the back wall next to a cork board. We use this to track the leads, Rosenthal said. She wrote Derek Summer's name on an index card and tacked it to the center of the board. Can I use the paper? Jenny asked. Help yourself, Rosenthal replied. Jenny wrote 10 p.m. on one card and midnight on another. She wrote in smaller font on the 10 p.m. card 9.30. Opening a portal is hard work. It would have taken a skilled practitioner about a half hour to do it, she said to Rosenthal. They tacked the cards to the top of the board. We need a list of people to talk to, Rosenthal said. I'll have Chewie get started on a next of kin. Once he gets done figuring out Luntz. Hey, Chewie, what gives? She shouted across the room. Chewie stood next to a boy no older than ten. You want the usual, he asked, back loudly. Yeah, she replied. He'll spend all day talking to Spencer, the kid who runs errands for us, she said to Jenny. Let's brainstorm some groups of people. I got next to Ken, probably other portal jumpers, friends, she trailed off as she wrote. Opening a portal like that isn't easy. Only a few people can do it, Jenny said. Can you get us a list of names? Rosenthal asked. Sure, she replied. My boss will know everyone who could do it. Could he do it? The detective asked. Jenny paused. She wasn't certain he couldn't. Robert was accomplished. I don't think his portal would be so neat, she replied. I read a lot of resonance, and what I saw in the bedroom was really tight. Robert is good, but this isn't his area of expertise. So the list of people who could do it in the way that it was done is pretty small, Rosenthal pressed. Yeah, Jenny replied. Have you seen portals like this before, the detective asked. I've seen portals made by experts, yes, she replied slowly. One of my instructors, Duncan Jackson, made a portal in class. It was similarly shaped and symmetrical. I've seen naturally occurring ones. They're always asymmetrical. Okay, once Chewie gets back, we'll brainstorm some more. We'll put your boss, Robert, on the list of people to talk to, along with your old teacher, said Detective Rosenthal, as she wrote the names on an index card. Detective Chukrevsky returned to the corkboard. Lunch is on the way, he said. Let me guess. You wanted me to do next of Ken. 
That's right, Rosenthal replied. First, we want to brainstorm some other people we need to talk to. She gestured to the list she had started. Hmm, other portal jumpers. Maybe we start with the Society of Extra-Dimensional Travelers, S-E-D-T, or SET-IT? Chewy mused. Rosenthal gave him a questioning look. I have a nephew who follows this stuff from back during the fade, he said, a little defensive. Rosenthal wrote the acronym on a card. Do we know of any significant others, she asked. Nah, Chukreski replied. His wife died during the fade. She was diabetic. He has two kids, I think. I'll get the addresses. Any detective, Rosenthal began. Detectives! A voice rang out from across the room. Both Rosenthal and Chukreski looked up. A tall, blonde woman in a trench coat crossed the room. I'm Cecilia Banks, and I represent the estate of the late Mr. Summers, she said, producing a letter. Rosenthal took the letter and inspected it. You can help us with next akin, yeah? Chukreski asked, gesturing at a chair, sitting at one of the desks. Banks paused, looked at Jenny, questioning, and sat down. Yes, she replied. Mr. Summers has a son and a daughter. His son, Derek Jr., lives at 223 East 74th Street. Mr. Summers purchased the apartment for him last year. His daughter is Cynthia Summers Montgomery. She and her husband operate a farm on Long Island, but they have a townhouse in the city at 42 West 11th Street in the village. Rosenthal handed the letter back to Banks. She checks out, she said. Other than helping us with Nexican, is there a reason you're here? The detective asked. Yes, Banks replied. As executor of Mr. Summers' estate, I'm tasked with carrying out his will. The unsealed portion of it states that I am to ensure that in the event of his untimely death, his children are not responsible. What? exclaimed Chewy. Is that normal? Uh, not at all, Banks replied. Mr. Summers was a unique client, prone to paranoia. People say he saw things in his exploits that man was not meant to see. So what do you want from us? Rosenthal asked. I'm just here to carry out the dictates of the will, Banks replied. If you clear the children, I'll unseal the rest of the will and dissolve his estate. So you don't know what's in the rest of the will, Chukrevsky asked. No, Mr. Summers is, was very wealthy, but the full accounting of his estate is unknown. Even by me, she replied. So the kids could have motive, Rosenthal mused. Banks pursed her lips. Cynthia married well. I don't think she needs it. And Junior, well, he needs the money, but from what I can tell, he loves his dad. Chukrevsky leaned back in his chair. I have to ask you this. Don't be offended. Where were you last night between 10 p.m. and midnight? Banks gave him an odd smile. I understand. I was at a fundraiser for the Orphaned Elf Society. The what now? asked Chukrevsky. Rosenthal interrupted. The Orphaned Elf Society, pro probably not one of Derek Summers' favorite organizations. I'm a professional, Banks said. I can separate the interests of my clients from my charitable work. What is it? Chukrevsky asked bluntly. Jenny spoke. Not everything, 
that comes through the portal wants to kill us. Most of the time, it's harmless. A winged horse or dog that can teleport. Sometimes, a portal will spit out an intelligent creature that is confused and lost. When we find those creatures, we take them to the orphaned elf society. So you take in wayward portal monsters, Chukrevsky asked Banks. I don't, she replied. I'm on the board and I help them fundraise so they can assist those who find themselves stranded in our world. Ah, I could see why Derek Summers might not love this organization, Chukrevsky said. He had a less than charitable view of things that came through the portal, Banks replied. You know about OES? Banks asked Jenny. I work for the mayor's office of thaumaturgy, she replied. She's just here to make sure nothing in Summer's apartment blew our heads off, Chukrevsky said. Actually, can you tell us if Summer's had anything from... He flipped through his notes. Nimmerish? He looked at Jenny and she nodded. Banks pursed her lips again. I don't have access to the full contents of his estate yet. I won't know anything until the children are cleared and I unseal the rest of the will, she replied. I have other appointments today. You can reach me at my office, she produced a card. Thank you for your help, Chewie said, standing up with her and taking the card. We'll let you know if we have any further questions. The three of them watched her leave. The boy that Chewie had been talking to approached the desk, holding a tray stacked with paper bags. Pastrami and rye, he asked Chewie, and a turkey and provolone. Chukrevsky took the bags and thanked the boy. Let's eat, said Rosenthal. Plenty to digest from that conversation, mused Chewie, unwrapping his sandwich. Jenny retrieved her lunch from her bag of supplies. The three ate and sat for a while. Chewie looked at the cork board. Rosenthal stared into the middle distance, and Jenny thought about the conversation she'd had with Rosenthal earlier. She had seen the aftermath of naturally occurring portals. Part of her job was to read the resonance and determine if a magic item or spell was active. As she had said, most of the time either nothing came through or something harmless was trapped on the wrong side. She had seen one instance last year where a large violent monster had come through. It had been dispatched before she got there, but it killed at least one person. The team that responded to those types of events now were highly trained and knew what to expect. Rosenthal had basically told her that the police department had sent problematic officers to deal with violent monsters in the hope that they would die. The detective had meant to reassure her that the type of officer who had shot her uncle was no longer a problem, but it was still disturbing. Chukrevsky turned to Jenny. You don't mind me asking. What's the weirdest thing you ever seen come out of Portal? Jenny broke from her reverie, finished chewing and swallowed a bite of her sandwich before responding. One time, there was a trail of goats leading from a portal. Goats? Chewie asked. Yeah. Turns out there was a, I don't know how to describe it, a, a living spell had come out of the portal and turned every living thing it encountered into a goat, she said. How did you stop it? Chewie asked on the edge of his seat, his sandwich forgotten. The portal was in Riverside Park, and we found the spell at the edge of the Hudson. It couldn't cross the river, she replied. 
Containing it was easy, just an inverse containment circle. Finding all the goats and determining which ones used to be people was the hard part. I think there are still a few goats at the Columbia Transmography Lab. Rosenthal looked at Jenny with appraising eyes. It is dangerous to track these things. You're pretty brave, she said. Jenny shrugged and replied, First year of thaumaturgy, we learn an armor spell. She picked up a pencil and jabbed her arm, which caused the spell to activate. In a flicker of light, the pencil was repelled from her hands. The detective shared a look and went back to their sandwiches. Silence descended as the three of them finished their lunch. You know, said Chewy, we need to prepare a brief for the lieutenant and send notes to our interview list. Rosenthal finished chewing the last of her sandwich before responding. What do you suggest? I'll start the brief, he said, if you draft the notes. He looked at Jenny. Most of police work is paperwork. You can head back to thaumaturgy and we'll pick up tomorrow morning with interviews. I'd like for you to report here in the morning, since we don't have the insight that you have, said Rosenthal. Okay, Jenny replied. What should I tell my boss? I'll draft a request for your services, Rosenthal said. Ask him to round out our list of expert interviews on the portal. She wrote a quick note explaining Jenny's contribution to the case and gave it to her. See you tomorrow, said Chewy, as she passed him, working at the desk. The ride to the office was uneventful. The subway car was dark and quiet. She arrived at the United States Realty Building around 3 p.m. The office was busy. Her co-workers greeted her. It wasn't unusual for her to spend part of the day in the field. Robert's door was open, and he was writing at his desk when she entered. Do you have a minute? she asked. Yes, of course. How are the police? Uh, fine, I guess, she said. They want me to help them with the case. She handed him Rosenthal's letter. He read it quickly. I mean, we're busy, he said, but this is important, and it could really help the office. How do you mean, she asked. Well, he replied, we're small and budgets are tight. If we can show our value in solving a high-profile case like this, it will ensure our funding for years to come. It's why I sent my best, he smiled at her. Jenny was conflicted about helping, but she loved her job, and if helping the police meant it could help her office, she could see through the investigation. There was a portal, man-made at the scene, she said, and went to Nimerish. She pulled out her notebook and showed him her sketches. His brow furrowed as he studied her work. The police want to know who could make a portal like this, she said. I know Dr. Jackson at Columbia is an expert on portals. Who else? Hmm. Duncan would be my go-to for this, Robert replied. No one else I know could be so neat. Rectangles. No one makes rectangles. I've opened a few portals and I can only make an oval. Most people do circles. He handed her the notebook. This is going to take up your time for the next few weeks, at least. Hand off your other work to Sylvia. Okay, Jenny replied uncertainly. Sylvia was new. Think of it as management training, Robert said. You'll have to teach her and check in with her. Sure, Jenny said, this time with more confidence. Robert had been talking about a team structure to the office. This seemed like an opportunity. Jenny spent the rest of the afternoon going over her projects with Sylvia, who was excited to have more advanced work to do. 
Around 6.30, Jenny gathered her things and made the journey back to the Bronx. As she left the elevated train station, dusk had fallen and the streets were cloaked in shadows. It was a short, familiar walk back to her apartment, filled with the sounds of merengue, dominoes, and children. As she pulled the gate open to her building's courtyard, a flash of a light erupted around her. She gasped and ducked. Her armor spell, which deflected anything that could cause her harm, had been activated. She sprinted to the entrance of her building and huddled in the lobby. Long moments passed as she crouched below the windows, breathing heavily. She slowly rose and peered into the courtyard. Light from her neighbor's windows faintly illuminated the paved area. The flower beds were cloaked in shadows, but too narrow to conceal a person, by Jenny's estimate. She stood up and looked around the lobby. It was empty and lit by a single magic lantern. She checked the courtyard again and noticed a glimmer of reflected light. She stepped outside cautiously. There, a few feet from the gate, was a dagger. Had someone tried to kill her? I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Storytime for Weirdos, a bi-weekly podcast with new episodes posted on the first and third Saturday of every month. Thank you.